0: Hi there, this is Justina and you're listening to the Exploding Head Podcast. Depending on where you live, what your political interests are, and what media you've been consuming, you might have heard something about the troubles, clashes, something bad happening in East Jerusalem, to be more specific, one of its neighborhoods called Sheikh Jarrah. You might have heard something about the Israeli forces trying to evict Several families from their homes there. Also, the same forces protecting the settlers who will be taking over those houses. You might have also heard something about the violence which worshippers in Al Aqsa, one of the holiest sites for Muslims, was used against Palestinian worshippers just this week, very recently, during some of the holiest days of the month of Ramadan. So, a lot has been happening in Palestine. Well, a lot is always happening in Palestine, like. When is a good day in Palestine? But as these events are unfolding, here it is. This is my fifth, yes, my fifth episode on Palestine. And in the light of these events, that's it. We have to talk about yet another concept that has to come to mind when we try to answer the question, what do we talk about when we talk about Palestine? And that concept is colonialism. It's a big word. You don't hear it too often these days. I mean, when you talk about current events, but just because it's weird to use it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't when it fits. So what I'll do in this episode, I will quickly summarize what's happening in East Jerusalem and more importantly, what's the context. I will define the concepts that I will be using. Then I'll summarize the Israeli policies that actually fit those definitions. I will refer to my previous episodes as well because I've covered a lot before and we can actually use the same prisms to analyze this current situation too. Lastly I will ask some broader questions as always. Questions that once again can only help us to answer that one big question. What do we talk about when we talk about Palestine? Thank you so much for being here and let me begin. So what's happening in east jerusalem and what's the context that explains it and a very good question to ask would be why is there east jerusalem and then is there west jerusalem and the answer is yes so we have east and west that was uh, part of the plan how palestine got divided so east jerusalem is considered to be since that plan a palestinian territory together with the west bank and gaza the gaza strip but in 1967 Israel annexed, occupied these territories, that's why they're called the Occupied Palestinian Territories and East Jerusalem is one of them. The occupation is illegal under the international law, so when you think about it, if you're occupying someone's land illegally What's the authority that you have? What's the power you're exercising? And obviously, yeah, you are exercising that power because you are the occupier. But is it recognized internationally? No. At the same time, even if it's not recognized internationally, what is happening is very much real to the people to whom it's happening. So for decades now, what the Israeli government has been doing is one, evicting Palestinians from their homes. And if they try to appeal, they're appealing, when you think about it, to the Israeli court. And uh, you might guess how favorable is the court of the occupying force to the people who they're occupying? You know, that's that's a good question to ask. So one, a lot of families have been evicted. Two, some houses were actually demolished to make space for new houses where the Israeli settlers could move into. So basically what we're seeing here is a displacement of people and pushing Palestinians living in East Jerusalem into even smaller areas. I will be using numbers from UN OCHA, or the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. My apologies for these numbers being a bit old. The one official document that I found is from the very end of uh, 2017. So imagine, that was already more than three years ago when the document stated that 35% of the land in East Jerusalem has been confiscated for Israeli settlement use. And only 13% of East Jerusalem is zoned for Palestinian construction, much of which is already built up. The same document adds that since the year 2000, the Israeli authorities have demolished over 1,400 houses and other structures in East Jerusalem So if you're wondering, oh, is it the state policy to be forcing Palestinians out of East Jerusalem to force them into smaller areas to take the land of East Jerusalem and to cleanse it from Palestinians, it's clear that the answer is yes. So when you think about it, not only do you have an occupying power, actually, well, occupying the land, but also what that power does is push the people into smaller pieces of land, making space for their own citizens. So this is a very important context, and we cannot talk about East Jerusalem, about Jerusalem, about Palestine in general, without talking about these historic events. And talking about the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah specifically, when you think about it, you have only two options here. Either the people who are living there, they've been living there for like a long time, that's one option. Another option, which is actually the case, I'm not sure about the other residents of, of this neighborhood, but when the Palestinians got evicted, when the big expulsion of the Palestinians happened, when Israel was established right in 1948, well, people were forced to leave their homes. And there was a population that lived in Yafa, which is kind of like the old Tel Aviv, so to speak, and in Haifa, which is in the north of Israel, So these families were refugees, they had to leave those areas, and they were actually relocated to East Jerusalem in 1956. It was an agreement by Jordan, by the UN Relief Works Agency, UNRWA, which is now the UN agency that takes care of the Palestinian refugees in in the region. So it was Jordan, UNRWA, and Israel who agreed that basically, okay, let's put these refugees here. So people who were already refugees, they are living for, well, many decades now. And then the Israeli settlers would motion the Israeli court. It seems to say, oh, these properties, they belong to us. Actually, that should be Jewish homes. And then if the Palestinians say, no, these are our homes. And they're trying to appeal the Israeli court. Once again, imagine how favorably the court of an occupying force looks at motions by the people who they illegally occupy. Hence, we've been seeing these evictions. We've been seeing even house demolitions in East Jerusalem. This is actually nothing new. The attention that this case is getting, I think that is new. I think it's incredible. It shows the shifting of the public opinion in many countries. Why? Because people can't see what's happening in the region. So there's a little bit more of attention to what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah. But to answer the question of what's really happening, what's an even broader context? What do we have to talk about when we talk about Palestine? Well, there is an infinite amount of answers to this question. I've been trying to deconstruct to answer this question in my previous episodes, of course. And one of the prisms that we have to use, one of the concepts that we have to talk about when we talk about Palestine is colonialism. It's colonialism and to be more specific, it's settler colonialism. And let me give you the definitions of these concepts and the reasons, the examples of why these concepts have been used already to describe what's happening in the region. This is nothing new. And I want to start by saying that I understand it's really strange, it's really uncomfortable, definitely. It's really weird to be using the word, the term colonialism when we talk about this century, right? I know that the association we have with this word is something from the past. And thankfully, we aren't using this word a lot to describe what's happening anywhere in the world these days. And yet, when we talk about Palestine, it's tragic, it's tragic. That we have to use this word so what's the definition what's the difference between just colonialism and settler colonialism and how come it applies to israel so a very basic way to define colonialism as a process is you know people come to a foreign land they take the land and they abuse the locals i know this doesn't sound very scientific but this is how i've been using this term right and then settler colonialism is a type I guess we can say of colonialism and the difference would be this as Patrick Wolfe and other scholars have identified I'm going to link these articles also in the article that surrounds my podcast episode as all my other references too so don't worry we can read about these concepts later on of course but so if regular colonialism is we come to the land we take the resources we abuse the people the people become the labor force And obviously, we know that what happened in, for example, the whole South America, that resulted in the biggest genocide in history. So obviously, it's not just that the locals work for us, but other things that we do to the locals. So that's colonialism. okay? but then settler colonialism takes a different shape. So while regular colonialism needs or at least uses the labor of the locals to exploit the land, to exploit the resources. And yes, by that, exploiting the people, of course, Settler colonialism is defined more like we come in and we push the people out. We push the indigenous populations out and we can say, how do we do that? We engage in something that could be called ethnic cleansing, really. And ethnic cleansing doesn't mean necessarily a genocide. A genocide is one of the formats of, I guess, how you can do that. But how ethnic cleansing is defined in one of the UN security documents, will I'll link to that document, of course I will, is basically a purposeful policy designed by one ethnic or religious group to remove by violent and terror-inspiring means the civilian population of another ethnic or religious group from certain geographic areas. So it doesn't have to be genocidal, but it's the act of pushing people out. People who are different from you, <laughs> out. From where they live, so this would be ethnic cleansing. But let me go back to settler colonialism. So just to add to this definition, what Patrick Wolfe, an author and a historian, said in one of his articles is settler colonialism destroys to replace, and he also adds that settler colonization it's a structure rather than an event. So it's a system that perpetuates the erasure of native peoples, basically. And that erasure becomes the precondition for settlers to expropriate, to take the land, and other resources that come with the land. So, colonialism, you work for us. Settler colonialism, you go away. And as other articles indicate how that's done, hey, you displace the indigenous population through settlements. And this is where I want to point your attention to the very language that we're using already. Uh, when you think about it, to be using the word settler, Israeli settlers, that sounds weird, no? We're not used to using this language because, once again, it just seems very archaic. But it's interesting that even the language that we're using, it actually cannot hide what it is. It cannot pull some 1984-type trick on you by naming it somehow differently. No, these are settlers. And I also want to ask you to do one thing. If English is not your native language, like for example, it is in my case, see for yourselves, double check if you don't know it yet, how the Israeli settlements are actually translated into your own native language. Because when I think about it in English, like, okay, a settlement, how else you can call it? It's a colony. It's a colony. You're colonizing lands of the indigenous populations. In my own language i have to say lithuanian the word that is being used for settlements but specifically israeli settlements it's so weird it's not a colony it's something else and and when you hear that word i have to say you really don't know what it means you have to google like what is that because it sounds very foreign like it doesn't reveal really what that is so i'm not sure if that was chosen on purpose or what the hell But I think it's interesting. It's interesting because we are not used to thinking of these settlements as settlements, as colonies. Other people who've been living in the land are being pushed through actual, intentional, systemic policies. Well, if they're policies, they are systemic, obviously coming from the system. There's that intention, there's a structure, there's enforcement, settler colonialism like what I was saying in my previous episode on international organizations, on apartheid, Israel taking parts, taking big parts of area C of the West Bank. That's also a policy to leave even less land for the Palestinians to take more land, the land of the Jordan Valley, by the way, that's the good land that you want to have because it's, because it's arable, because this is where things grow. So we're leaving less space for the Palestinians. You, you're doing that by building the settlements by taking more of the land, by pushing people from their original lands once again. Some people are double refugees now, some people are triple refugees as well. So if you think of colonialism and you think, oh, previous centuries, that was really fucking horrible and so shameful. To go back to one of my episodes about hypocrisy, if you think that was appalling, and if you're not being a hypocrite, you should be appalled by what's happening in the occupied Palestinian territories. Like I said in that episode, you cannot have it both ways. If you don't like colonialism, you should also not like it here. There should be no, yeah, but the Palestinians, you know, there should be no, yeah, but the Palestinians, you should just be against it. Using the prism of confusion this is so confusing this conflict it's just too complex to analyze really no one really knows no one really knows what's happening in my episode i said that actually it's pretty clear who's doing what to whom i talked about the direction and in this case i can say oh wait are these the palestinian forces evicting israelis from west jerusalem to take their homes or how is it and and we know the answer right we know the answer to that question this whole episode is the answer to this question and if you're still unsure if you feel comfortable maybe using the term colonialism or settler colonialism when you talk about palestine here's a question for you if it's not colonialism and if it's not settler colonialism if the palestinians are not being pushed maybe they were never pushed from their lands where they lived why do we have why do we have and this is just the registered ones over five million registered palestinian refugees registered where with whom with UNRWA which is once again the U.N. Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees. Why do we have more than 5 million registered refugees? Why do we have, and this is what's managed by UNRWA, 58 refugee camps for Palestinians in which a million and a half Palestinians live in Jordan, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Gaza itself, in the West Bank, and in East Jerusalem? If it's not settler colonialism, who are these people? Why are they living in these camps that resemble very poor areas of just towns with usually not great infrastructure and what to talk about access to different kinds of opportunities? It's just not logical. We cannot have refugees if there was no event, no structure even that pushed them out of their lands. What is that structure, as Patrick Wolf would say, not an event, but a structure? What is that system? What is that process? And we have to say, oh, it's colonialism. My God, in the 21st century, colonialism. Yeah. You would think that one wouldn't be recording a podcast on settler colonial practices and policies in 2021. I understand. It's very strange. It's very strange for me. I'm not glad that I get a chance to talk about colonialism these days, (laughs) you know? No. And now, finally, the last part of my podcast. What are the broader questions we have to ask? And I can think of a couple at least. One, it is interesting to see how the media will be covering the clashes, as they say, the troubles, whatever, you know, what's happening in East Jerusalem, what's happening in Palestine in general, because yes, we can see that the public opinion is shifting. Will it be enough for governments to actually take any significant action? Can we finally talk about sanctions? Can we talk about some kind of meaningful boycott coming from more countries? So how the media will be covering, and if countries, the actual governments, if they take into account what their citizens might be angry with, if because of that, they take meaningful action and impose something onto Israel. That's one big question. And the second question is something that I could have been asking at the end of all my episodes on Palestine, really, is will that shifting opinion, will what's happening now in East Jerusalem and in Palestine in general every day i didn't even mention the misery in which people in gaza live and how insane of a crime that is i didn't mention that but so the question is will that be enough to create pressure internally and externally not to israel but to the states so the States, so America, <laughs> stop supporting Israel by giving those 3.5, 3.8 billion dollars in aid every year to Israel. Will it stop vetoing every significant resolution in the UN? So basically, will it stop protecting and supporting Israel? Because as long as that support is flowing, it's very difficult to expect any kind of significant change. Thank you so much for listening to this. I know it was a long episode, but I hope, as always, that you found it interesting, that you've learned something new. And who knows, maybe it will even inspire you to speak out against something that you, I hope, don't agree with. Maybe you'll add a hashtag somewhere. Maybe you'll sign a petition. Maybe you'll go and march somewhere. But I think it all starts with that knowing. It all starts with that deeper understanding. And this is exactly what I hope to achieve with this episode. So I hope I did. Thank you again, and I'll see you next week.